Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name is Jason Rice and I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey, but unfortunately he wasn't able to be part of this interview. But don't worry, he will be back in next week's episode. You know, we started this podcast because we love the Christian Reformed Church, and we want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we recognize that whenever Reformation has ever happened in the history of the church, it has always been messy. So we're taking time to talk to pastors throughout the CRC about what's happening in our denomination, but also about what Reformation might look like. If you're not a member of the CRC, we'd love for you to stick around anyways, because the truth is the conversations we have here apply way beyond the Christian Reformed Church. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're hoping to drop episodes every Monday. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a positive review on iTunes, but also share these episodes with people. We want these conversations to go throughout the CRC and help benefit the church. So think of three or four people that might benefit and share the episode with them. It just helps get the word out. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our interview with Peter Rockhold. Having those different perspectives and different approaches is incredibly helpful uh, with learning how to live out our reformed faith in our current situation. So that's a wonderful strength. Um, it makes it more difficult, though. For us to make decisions um, is incredibly difficult. Uh, like, like, you just see that every year with synod, like you, uh, or this year with the report on human sexuality coming up, you just, you see the difficulty of all these different viewpoints and it is it feels like at times it's going to tear us apart but i think it will also help us to come up with better solutions Mm. um and so i think that is a wonderful strength of the the crc yeah yeah we have this kind of tendency in the church i don't know where it came from but that conflict is bad Mm-hmm. And that, that you know, I, I remember talking to a classis and they were in the midst of kind of a pretty tense situation in the classis, a lot of disagreement. And I remember telling them like, wow, this classis is really healthy. And they're like, what do you mean? We just had a massive fight, like half the pastors disagree with everyone. And I said, I've been in a lot of classes where they're not willing to even have the fight. Mm-hmm. And that's not health. You know, the the health is actually, let's disagree with this, but let's figure out how to come to some kind of a conclusion. And, and actually, like you said, that disagreement forces us to maybe go in directions where we wouldn't have gone, even a healthy direction. Yeah, sometimes, right, the danger, like you said, the weakness is sometimes it can drag us in a direction that we shouldn't go. But sometimes yeah. it forces us to come up with a creative solution that we would not have thought of before. Yeah, I think I think that is exactly it. And like one of the things I absolutely love about our denomination too is uh um even though we have a long ways to go like the increase of different ethnicities. Like there's a strong Korean influence in our denomination and they're 
approach to uh, um, a reformed understanding of scripture is very vibrant. And uh, I really enjoy having, having that perspective. And that's just a, a, a wonderful strength as well. So there's a lot of good things about our denomination that we really should be encouraged by. Yeah. I mean, that was really, I, I have to say that was one of the things that really attracted me to Calvin Sem. I was already a member of the CRC and so it was high on my list, but I visited a ton of other seminaries and uh, just to say it bluntly, because I guess that's how I do it, but I walked around those other seminaries and all I saw there were like early 20s white boys. <laughs> Every, that was all I saw there. And when I visited Calvin Sem, yeah, I saw older, younger people. I saw we, there's a, a huge variety of people. I mean, just in the people visiting with me, there were people from Liberia and uh, um, Korea. And uh, there was a couple people who were Hmong and had Hmong heritage. And I mean, it was, and I'm like, my goodness, we, there's a lot of diversity here actually in our, in our seminary. And I thought this is good. This is a really healthy thing. It's, and not only is that healthy, I think it's more, um, it's more of a, a theologically um, grounded thing because like uh, when a seminary or when a denomination looks closer, like the worldwide body of Christ, because like the, uh, the body of Christ is in countries all over the world, ethnicities make up the body of Christ. And when we have a variety of ethnicities within our church, it, it looks more like the, what the body of Christ is. And that is very, very healthy for us to have. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's a strength of the CRC and it's, uh, and it continues. I, I hope it continues to be a strength of the CRC too. And, and it resonates again. I, I did uh, a couple years ago, I did, uh, my cross-cultural internship in the Dominican Republic. And so now there's a, they're not officially part of the Christian Reformed Church of North America. They're called the Christian Reformed Church of the Dominican Republic, but I was involved with them. And uh, it's, it, the denominations like flourishing in that little country. There's like over 200 CRC churches in the Dominican Republic. And it's spreading which is really inter interesting. The church is spreading the most through small Haitian immigrant uh, communities. And uh, it's just cool to see that, again, this is a heritage thing. And, and the whole church in the Dominican Republic started um, by one of those little Haitian immigrant communities listening to the Back to God Hour. Hmm. And uh, yeah. Yeah, the and... I'm sure like some people listening to this, so well, I don't know how many people will listen to, to me neither, maybe <laughs> but, nobody, <laughs> but I'm sure some of them will probably be taken a little bit back by this because when you think of CRCs, you think of Dutch and there obviously still is a lot of Dutch influence. And sometimes uh, uh, it's hard for us to break out of our Dutch circles. I, I do admit that. Uh, but uh, um I also think the Dutch influence has helped us to um, look at different cultures because when you when you look at the history of the CRC and its care for immigrants, 
um, uh, from the, the Netherlands back in the day, you see that continue actually where a lot of CRCs are still carrying as much as they can for immigrants uh, from different countries. And mm-hmm. I, uh, so I think, I think we are uh, heading in a direction where we have a lot of different ethnicities. So, so basically we still have a long ways to go, but I think we're doing, doing really well. Yeah, that's good. So you mentioned too, you mentioned, so if we talk about some of the concerning things we see happening in our denomination, um, you mentioned kind of this walk towards this broad evangelicalism being kind of a concern. Um, Are there other things that you see in our denomination that are kind of concerning to you? Well, obviously I think the, the big thing that's on everybody's mind, um, uh, in the denomination right now is the the report on human sexuality and how we're going to uh, approach those issues uh, uh, from same-sex relationships to like all the other uh, issues that the uh, report talks about. And that is not going to be easy to to work through and so that is a concern on my mind and i think it's a concern on a lot of people's yeah. minds as well yeah yeah it's actually i would say some of these concerns are, lie underneath the impetus to start having some of these conversations in a podcast is because there's a lot of talk about the future of our denomination in this and a lot of people are uneasy about it and and uh, yeah, and especially, yeah, the report on human sexuality has been the big one. And um, I just listened to, uh, heard another pastor kind of lament that the, that the report on human sexuality has turned into the report on homosexuality. And a lot <laughs> of people have ignored the rest of it. And they were like, ah, there's, there's other aspects of this that we're trying to learn from. But but the flashpoint is, is homosexuality for everyone right now. Yeah, which is like very, very true because I, even before the report would come out, uh, uh, people were like, oh, I'm not looking forward to what this report will, will say about homosexuality um, or they're looking forward to it either, either way. And like, you do realize it's going to talk about a whole lot more, right? They're like, no, it's just on homosexuality, right? Like, no, it's like, this is going to be, this is everything. And it's, yeah. uh, um, yeah, it's uh, but uh, same-sex relationships are is the big thing that's on people's mind right now, though, and I, I think part of the reason for that is it's an issue that hits almost every church community, um, and so it's forcing every church to to grapple with it. Um, and some of the other issues in the sexuality report hit every church community as well, but they're a little bit more. Uh, in the quiet like that the report talks quite a bit about pornography but you don't really see churches dealing with those issues directly and Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not as big of a controversial thing and morally too it's uh, uh, I think it's easier to uh, figure out uh, the ethics of of that Um, but yeah so but homosexuality is like impacting every church community and people are, uh, they don't know the best way to approach the um, yeah. issues. And I think too, for, for those who are um, really concerned, right? Cause I mean, I've talked to 
a number of pastors who have said, depending on how things go in June, we're either leaving the denomination or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, for people who are really concerned, um, they've been concerned about our denomination taking an improper stance on homosexuality ever since they took their stance on women in office, right? That's kind of yeah. people way you know back 20 years ago when the denomination was wrestling with women's ordination issues, everyone said, if you, if you go down this road, <laughs> it's not going to be long and you're going to be embracing, you know, just you're going to be becoming more liberal. You're going to be embracing homosexual mm-hmm. lifestyles and you're just going to be affirming all of this. And now they're everybody who made those predictions and stayed in the CRC. They're going, see, see, I told you we're, we're, we're going there. <laughs> and uh, and so they've been like holding their breath for 20 years. And now they're like, I'm done. Right. Yeah. And the struggle that I have with this is, um, is the way people are viewing same sex relationships in the, the CRC LGBTQ issues and whatnot. They see two options going on of either we'll, we will stay the same or we move to a different theology. Um, and my argument with the CRC is I'm not, I'm not on the liberal affirming side of these things at all, but I think we, we need to change uh, our parts of our theology and parts of our approach. We cannot stay the same. Um, And yeah, like what would be the best, how the best way to like kind of describe that? Like, um, like I'm somebody, and uh, Jason knows this already, and so does my church, but I'm somebody who's attracted to the same sex and committed to celibacy. And this is an issue that is quite close to my heart, um, obviously, because it's impacted every day of my life. But yeah. it's uh, uh, when it's interesting, because when I joined the CRC, one of the reasons I joined it besides my love for Louis Burkhoff and Reformed Theology is because of its 1973 report on homosexuality. I, when I read the port, the report uh, for the first time, I'm like, uh, like, oh, this matches all the convictions I've developed about this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, nomination for me, like they've, uh, um, they've addressed this really well, like I'll be able to fit in within this denomination. And after I joined I realized that nobody actually followed the report, uh, that it's, uh, that nobody really read it. Nobody practiced what was in it. And, uh, uh, people just stuck with the status quo. And I'm like, like, it was very disheartening actually, because I, I thought this denomination was heading in the right direction. So that's like my, one of the things I'm nervous about is not just if we're gonna, if the denomination is gonna go in an affirming direction, I'm also nervous about the denominations just wanting to stay the same um, because we're still not even following our own report from 73. Like how, how are we, are we actually gonna move forward and even follow those guidelines? Like we're not there. Um, so I don't know, I have a lot of concerns with that. Yeah, yeah, because I think you can have the opposite, right? There, there's one, group that wants to push us in an affirming direction 
but then you can have the gut reaction from everyone else who's worried about losing our biblical convictions where they just dig in their heels in, in stupid places <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and unbiblical places. Yeah, well, and it's interesting. Uh, when I look at the 1973 report, it says that our church communities are supposed to be really supportive of people like me, uh, people who have to uh, carry this uh, extra burden in order to follow Christ, I think is how it's worded or similar mm-hmm. to how it's worded. Um, but what I've experienced is said is not support, but that I'm a cause of controversy. Uh, which is kind of a crazy thing because I'm following uh, our ethical standards and, and I'm, I'm a, a source of controversy for many, many people. Uh, and I'm like, well, we still need to work on this. We, we haven't moved at all. And so I, yeah, so it is frustrating for me. Yeah. In, in, yeah, I get that. How do you think? Do you have any thoughts on, I'm sure you have lots of thoughts on this, but how do we, as a church, begin to have better, more helpful conversations on this kind of a thing? I, you know, that's a difficult question to answer, because I think so often we hope that it will organically happen. Like I even think in the 73 report, uh, it gives us suggestions for church to, to follow this. Um, um, and even looking at the human sexuality report that just came out, I'm not going to comment on it too much because I haven't finished reading it, uh, but it seems like it's just giving suggestions, more suggestions for churches uh, I think what needs to be happen needs to happen is something that moves beyond suggestions of saying every church needs to have dialogues over this. Um, like every every church needs to like hear why people are taking different approaches and understanding the situations that the um, the LGBTQ same sex attracted people in our churches are going through like we we need to talk about it and just by suggesting churches to talk about it or suggesting pastors to talk about it doesn't seem to be cutting it yeah Um, and i think because churches churches haven't led the charge in having those conversations then the culture has yeah right and i think most of the people in our churches their views on sexuality have been mainly influenced by the culture whether they're more affirming or whether they're super conservative, they're, they're mm-hmm. being influenced by what's going on in the culture both ways. And so that's why the conversation hasn't been real helpful because uh, the church hasn't really talked about it. And, yeah. And it's interesting. Like when I look at the 1973 report, it really pushed the boundaries of culture uh, not the boundaries of theology. I think it was very like uh, um, theologically grounded um, and orthodox, but it pushed the boundaries of culture because at that time, secular culture was pushing uh, reparative therapy of changing people's orientation. And that document, uh, the 73 report was like, uh, we're not quite convinced by that. And so it might be 
uh, it might prove to be helpful and it, it might be something that churches should follow, but really the Bible doesn't require it. Uh, uh, so we shouldn't really be chasing that direction. Now I'm doing a big paraphrase of that, but that's sure. basically um, what it's saying. And that will really push the boundaries of culture. Um, now culture has gone the complete opposite direction uh, concerning issues of reparative therapy and whatnot. Uh, but it's like the church churches are now lagging in having these uh, thoughtful conversations uh, about these issues. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do think one of the solutions is to start having these conversations and having them in good, you know, in healthy environments and, and probably pastors Pastors needs to do it. I, I had a series planned. I was going to start diving into this conversation and then COVID hit. And I thought, <laughs> this is not a conversation to have over a, over a live stream service. <laughs> well, that's the problem with COVID right now too, is like this report has come out. This is the time that we need to talk to each other more than any other time, it seems like. And uh, uh, we're in a pandemic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, like, how do we have these conversations? And I think it's, I think it's possible. It just has to be really intentional. I think so too. And, uh, you know, we both believe this is in God's providence, even though it doesn't seem to make sense to us <laughs> that this is all dropping right in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, but who knows, mm -hmm. who knows what God has in store and how, but I think we do need to push uh, push these conversations into our churches and throughout our denomination. And yeah, I, I don't know if anybody will ever listen to this podcast, but uh, that's what we're hoping to do here too, is to start pushing some conversations and talking about it because, you know, Facebook and social media, it's not a conversation, right? It's turned into memes and one-liners and kind of gotcha statements. And that's, uh, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why I thought we need to move this out of Facebook because it's just nuts land over there. Yeah. And start well, having actual social media. Social media is hardly ever helpful. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's... I've asked a few people that over this election season and stuff, I said, tell me the last time your opinion was changed because of a meme posted on <laughs> Facebook. I mean, really, you, somebody posted a meme and you went, oh, my goodness, all of my worldview has just collapsed because you, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it's not effective. And, and like humans, we're much more complicated than a meme. Um, and it's uh, like, like people, if people listen to this, uh, hearing just a, a little bit about my story, like I'm, I'm sure probably will take some people off guard because they probably don't imagine uh, uh, somebody who's obsessed with Calvin uh, to the nth degree also dealing with these sort of issues as well. And so, so like people are complicated. Yeah. It's important to realize that. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure not many people picture, picture. Peter, you're just a ball of contradictions in general. I mean, <laughs> why I like perfectly you. fine with that. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I love it. I love it. So what uh, uh, kind of our final question is uh, uh, we've asked people is, do you think the CRC is worth rescuing? And if so, uh, what do you think needs to happen to help keep our denomination whole and healthy? I, 
I definitely think it's worth rescuing. Like, I get a little upset, actually, with people who just want to jump the bandwagon simply because um, the CRC, like, with aunt's different views and opinions and whatnot that it has, it's on a very delicate scale. We're kind of on this, like, teeter-totter like uh so it's it feels unstable but but you want to be in that balanced position and if people just give up immediately it's just going to throw everything off um and i yeah like this is this is a denomination that has had such a wonderful impact in the past um and also negative impacts too i always want to be realistic we're sinful people um but uh, there's been so much positive, and I think that can really, really continue. Um, it's like, like we haven't, as a denomination, we haven't lost the gospel. So, like, <laughs> like, yes, it's worth rescuing. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I've told people that too. That I one of the amen to everything you just said, and also just the our Dutch Reformed theology, our heritage is has something that no one else has i don't think and maybe i'm ignorant to that but i've i've been influenced by a lot of uh a lot of people like john piper and the reformed baptist camp and and all these different people and i really love those men and appreciate them but but then you read someone like bob Inc. <laughs> and you go there's something different here there's a little nuance here that uh is beautiful and uh and and adds to the conversation going on in the church in you know the united states and canada right now too and so for us to lose that voice yeah i think is it would hinder the church yeah now i'm trying to remember the second part to your question well now what do you think what do you think needs to happen either long term or even short term uh to keep our denomination whole and healthy you know, I'm going to say something that'll probably seem a little crazy and controversial. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully that's okay. <laughs> I'm good with I'm good with crazy and controversial. That's why I love you. <laughs> I I think one of the things that this denomination needs to do a better job of, and from the little bits I've read of, like the the human sexuality report that came out, it seems to be pushing this. Uh, two is that we need to do a better job of uh, caring for the single people uh, in our mm. churches, uh, because a healthy church has both married and single people. the 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 marriage, uh, the married life, um, represents uh, Christ's relationship to the church and the the gospel now, but the single life looks forward to. Uh, the coming of Christ and what our life is going to look like then. And um, when a church doesn't have a vibrant uh, life of the, yeah, if a church doesn't have a vibrant single life for people, if it's an isolated life, uh, there's something missing there. And I think, I think the CRC really needs to emphasize um, the single celibate life a whole lot more. Uh, the way that I think they should do that, this is where I'll get a little controversial, uh, is I actually think that we need to create a reformed version of a religious order, of a, mm. a, some sort of monasticism, um, um, which is interesting because in reformed history, uh, 
um, Luther, Calvin, those people were highly critical of monasteries. So in Reformed churches, they just never happened. Um, but when I read Calvin, he's critical of monasteries, but he leaves room for monasteries to actually happen. Hmm. Uh, he's critical of lifelong vows that uh, uh, monks have to make. Uh, he doesn't think those should happen. And he's critical of uh, monastic communities being so separated from the local church that they should be very involved in the local church. And those are all criticisms I agree with as well. Um, so I would love to see this denomination actually form its own version of some sort of monastic order that creates this wonderful, healthy space for single people to have community, uh, to make it easier for them to serve the local church, uh, to uh, be a wonderful gift to the local church. Uh, so that's one thing that I think would really help us out and would help out the conversation with same-sex relationships as well, because people on the affirming side what they really struggle with is like uh, we're just calling um, uh, people who are attracted to the same sex to a life of isolation. Mm. Um, but if we have these intentional uh, communities for single people to serve the church, we are uh, removing that isolation. Mm. And, and so, uh, so that's kind of my long winded answer to that. I'm actually, doing research in order to like write some sort of essay or paper on why we should have reformed monastic communities. Hmm. Um, but most people disagree with me and I, I totally get that too, because that really hasn't happened in our reformed churches, but that's something, something that I'm pushing for. Yeah. Well, and I think that what you're talking about is just so outside of the scope of what Calvin was talking about. Because uh, it did seem like, yeah, a lot of the things you pointed out were things he disagreed with, um, his issues with monasticism, but also one of his big issues was this idea of there being this, like the spiritual Marines, and then the normal people who don't need to know anything, right? And yeah. so, like, he and all the reformers made this big push to take monasticism out of the monasteries and put it into the homes. And uh, mm. that's, uh, even reading um, some biographies on Calvin, they said that's when they started it, uh, recommending people to pray with each meal because it had this monastic rhythm to it. You know, we just do it because we think, well, this is what we're supposed to do. But in the Reformation, they said, no, the monks, they, they pray like three times a day and that's a good thing. Or they pray more, they pray seven times a yeah. day. But, but they have this litur liturgy. So let's bring that into the life of the average Christian. And let's tie it to a meal so they don't forget it and have them pray three times a day. And so mm -hmm. what they were trying to do is take the monastery and push it into the lives of the, the, the yeah. people. Well, and when you look at these orders, like I'm a big fan of the Augustinian order. Um, and when you look at the rules that they have for community life, um, it's all very practical and very helpful and really helps create this, uh, um, strong, these strong Christian habits uh, of um, praying quite often throughout the day and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, a lot of, a lot of those rules, or at least the principles behind the rules are very helpful for like uh, uh, communities of single people 
supporting each other as well. Like a lot of those can be applied um, to today. So I would, I would love to see something like that. Even if we don't even call it the monastery, I'm fine with. I just, I, I think we just need to be much more intentional about creating room for the single people within our churches. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good. I've never thought of that. That's you've got my brain turning, Peter. I appreciate oh, that, that. That's that was my hope. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, we'll have to think and pray about it because I agree. I think uh, there's a big struggle uh, for single people in our churches, even in my, you know my church too. That's one of the struggles with all the single people. You know, we've got widows and and widowers and mm-hmm. and uh, wrestling with trying to help them feel part of the community and. And uh, yeah, it's a struggle in a lot of churches. And uh, so something we can definitely grow in. And yeah, maybe that's a way to, to do that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, great. Well, thank you, Peter. Appreciate you taking time to be with us on this podcast. I uh, appreciate talking to you every time. Yeah, yeah, this was enjoyable. Hopefully I get to come back uh, if, well, if you do do more podcasts, hopefully this is a success. And <laughs> yeah. if people keep listening, we'll keep doing them, doing them. And if nobody's listening, we will stop. <laughs> well, that's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week when we go back to the United States and we interview Carrie Gephardt. But until then, don't forget that this is Christ's church and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in and try to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.